0: The Bible reading today is found in John, chapter 11, verses 17 to 44. I think it's found on pages 871 in your pew Bible, or on the screen. On his arrival, Jesus found that that Lazarus had been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in their loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said. And he's asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews had been with Mary in the house, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn him. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and said, Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man. By this time, there is a bad odor, and he, is, he has been there for four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know you always hear me, but I said this, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go.
1: There's one sense in which Christianity is a male-centred religion. Christianity centres around a first-century Jewish man known as Jesus of Nazareth. But according to the Gospels, Jesus was not the product of a male-centred culture. He's actually the one who created male and female in God's image in the first place. Jesus' maleness is not incidental, it's intentional. But its intention is not to marginalise women, but to draw us into one flesh unity with him. When Genesis describes the first man and woman being brought together in marriage, it says that they are made one flesh. And in the New Testament, we discover that this one flesh unity is designed to picture Jesus' relationship with his church, his bride. See, Christianity is not centred on male status, It's centred on the sacrifice of one man whose sacrificial love has been drawing women to him ever since. As we read the Gospels, we'll discover that many of Jesus' first followers were women. And by the second century, Christianity was being mocked as a religion of women. Today, if we look around the world, we'll find that women are more likely to identify as Christians than men and are more likely to engage in Christian practices like going to church and praying and reading their Bibles. Christianity is centered on one Jewish man. But women of every tribe and tongue and nation have been centering their lives on Jesus ever since his death and resurrection. In fact, like one of his first followers, Martha, we believe he is our resurrection and our life.
2: He's our resurrection and life indeed. Well, friends, we are going to look at uh, God's word this morning. Uh, Hopefully that video uh, was helpful. It's not the one that Andrew and I thought were going to be played. We actually thought a different one was going to be played. But that one was helpful nonetheless and did get to Martha. So (laughs) praise the Lord. (laughs) But friends, as we come before God's word, um, we always want to come before and see who Jesus is. Uh, we want to know what it means to love him as our Lord and our Saviour. And we, our hope today as, as we come is that we get a deeper and a richer picture of who Jesus is and then what it means to, to follow him as his disciple. And whether you've been doing that for 50 years or you're here this morning as someone who's investigating Jesus, uh, that is our prayer. So I'm going to pray and then we're going to open up God's word together. Our good and our gracious God, uh, we thank you for your word and we thank you for your word became flesh in the Lord Jesus. This morning, uh, as we open the Scriptures, as we look at some of the women in the Gospels, how they saw Jesus, may we see Jesus afresh ourselves and know what it means to follow you. May my words be yours, and Spirit, please be at work amongst all the people here and across the screen. In Jesus' name, Amen. So friends, we are in this series, Jesus for the Eyes of Women, and the theme that we're looking at this morning is discipleship. Uh, If you're tracking through the book, we're in chapter 3. And so we're going to explore what it looks like for us uh, to be a disciple, what that means, and what it looks like to follow Jesus as a disciple. And as we do that, we will see uh, how it is that Jesus actually brings immense hope, immense hope and immense certainty in a life that is full of fear and uncertainty. And then as a result of that, we'll see him as Lord and Savior and we'll follow him. And we'll follow him sacrificially in a way that actually will be costly, but that brings life. Now, to explore this theme of discipleship, uh, if you've read the book, you'd be familiar that Rebecca talks about uh, two groups of women. She talks about Mary and Martha who stay in their hometown of Bethany. And some itinerant disciples of Jesus who are women uh, who follow him uh, that we read about in the Gospel of Luke. We're going to start in our Bible reading uh, looking at uh, Mary and Martha and then we'll head over to the Gospel of Luke. So as we begin here, looking at Mary and Martha, uh, as we look at these sisters, what we see is, in a sense, the beginnings of discipleship or or what we centre ourselves on as disciples of Jesus. We see that they hear, believe and see Jesus as their Saviour. Now, in the bit before... uh, Greg Red, yes, he is my Uncle Greg for those that joined the dots from before. The, the resemblance is uncanny, isn't it? It's beautiful. Um, but in, in the, the gospel here, um, we read about these sisters who have a deep need. Their brother Lazarus is sick, but more than sick, he is dying. And so they're in deep need of a Savior. They need their Savior and their Lord. Jesus. Now as we read the story, it seems like the original readers of John knew uh, who Mary and Martha were very well. Now we don't so much we hear about them in a bit of the Gospel of Luke, but we hear something very particular about them here. Uh, In verse five, it says, Now Jesus loved Martha and his sister and Lazarus. Jesus loves these women and he loves Lazarus. Uh, This is not a romantic kind of love. This is a deep, intimate friendship. Uh, One that is transcending time, it seems. Uh, Jesus' love for Mary and Martha is deep. And they love him in return. But they are also his disciples. So for Mary and Martha, Jesus is a friend, but he is more than a friend. He is their Lord. And so when Lazarus is sick, they know they have nowhere left to turn but to turn toward Jesus. And in their grief, in their anguish, in their pain and in hope, they call out. And if you have a look at verse three, they basically say, get Jesus quick. Tell him, Lord, the one you love is sick. Like in other words, Jesus, your best mate in a way is sick. You love us, Jesus. Please come. Please save us. We know you can. Please come. And then we hear what I think is some very surprising words in verses four to six. When Jesus heard this, he said, this sickness will not end in death, Notice, for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now that verse again, now Jesus loved Martha and his sister and Lazarus. So when he heard Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. That's a bit shocking, isn't it? Did you hear that connection between Jesus loves Martha and Mary and chose not to come? His love for Martha and Mary meant that he stayed, that he didn't come. His love for them means he's going to allow Lazarus to die. Now that might sound callous, that that sounds a little bit like Jesus has some sort of uh, shallow love. But I love the way that one commentator, Klink, put it. He said this. God's ability to use the sickness and death of Lazarus must, not be understood, must be understood as fitting perfectly and purposely with his love for Lazarus and his family, Martha and Mary. Even the delay of Jesus recorded in verse 6 is not to be viewed as, as a dispassionate response, but must be understood in light of the love of God. Now, that's nice theological words, but I don't imagine that's what Martha and Mary felt, right? Jesus' delay, that's not what they wanted. That's not what they were expecting, what they were hoping for. They would have liked Jesus to display his love a bit differently. But the delay is not a lack of love. The delay can only mean there's a greater love that's on the horizon for them. And then as the story continues into verses 14 and 15, Jesus reveals part of the reason why uh, that he has chosen not to come at that point. He says to his 12 disciples, Lazarus is dead and for your sake I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe so let us go to him jesus love for mary and for martha means that he wants to give a greater revelation and experience of who jesus is to them and he wants to show them that he is sent from god for them to witness the glory of god even if that is to be through suffering so mary and martha uh, is calling for jesus can be very similar to how we call out to God, how we call out to God in prayer, hoping, asking, praying, longing for Jesus to act in some way, shape or form. And if you've been a Christian for any length of time, I'm sure you've experienced a delay or experienced a no in some way, shape or form. But when we experience those things, it is never for a lack of love. It is never for a lack of care. It is never betrayal this passage urges us to know and look for the love of God and the purpose of God even through some horrific horrible things our natural inclination is probably going to be to push away from, to, to turn away from God in those dark times but we see in Mary and Martha they turn to Jesus in the dark times uh, God's love is not absent his purposes are never defeated and we can trust God's sovereignty timing and decision precisely because he loves us, even in the depths and the darkness of suffering. But as the days pass, we now meet Martha in person. Martha, she's sent for Jesus. She's been waiting for him, longing for him. And she now hears of his arrival. And we get to verse 20. When Martha heard Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary stayed at home, Lord, Martha said, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. you like, the grief, the anguish. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Isn't that just the most incredible picture of laying out the suffering, but yet complete trust in God? Trusting Jesus amidst pain and grief. And Jesus replies, your brother will rise again. Now, Martha, uh, being uh, a sound Jewish woman, uh, knows that this probably means that Jesus is talking about the end of time, when all the people will be raised. But then Jesus privately gives Martha one of the most incredible words he ever spoke. In verse 26, he says, 25-26, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Jesus is not just a good teacher. Jesus is not just a good friend. Jesus is the source of life himself. He is the saviour. And at this point, Jesus asks for a response. Mary, do you believe? Martha, do you believe this? Martha, do you believe this? Now, you've got to remember at this point where Martha is in the story. She is in the depths of her pain, in the depths of her grief. She's been waiting for Jesus for days and days and days. Jesus is standing on the road. Her brother is dead in a tomb, dead, decaying, silent. And Jesus asked, tells her, I'm the resurrection and the life. Martha, do you believe this? In times of doubt, in times of struggle, these words again echo over our life. Jesus is asking Martha to trust him just on his word. Do you trust me on my word, Martha? I'm the resurrection and the life. Uh, as you know, my, um, my grandma, um, Uncle Greg's mom, uh, passed away and went to be with the Lord recently, just last week. And so we cling to the words of Jesus. I'm the resurrection and the life. She had her hope in Jesus, and our hope is in Jesus too, that he is the res- resurrection and the life. But for all of us, in times of doubt, in times of struggle, in times of emotional turmoil, relational turmoil, whatever it may be, we look to Jesus and trust him to be the resurrection and the life recite it over ourselves. Do we believe this? And so in that moment, Jesus allows Martha to respond. And then this is her response. Yes, Lord, I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of God who has come into the world. From the lips of Martha, we hear one of the greatest declarations of faith in the New Testament. As Rebecca McLaughlin says, how do we see Jesus? Uh, Through Martha's eyes. We see him as the one who can bring back her brother as she craves, but also the one who in himself is the resurrection and the life. Jesus reveals himself to Martha as the one who himself embodies life. To trust Jesus is to live. For us, Martha is a great example of faith and trust in the Lord Jesus. She is one who we can know And be encouraged in ourselves to see Jesus and know him to be the resurrection of the life. The saviour in this moment and into eternity. She helps us to see that we can trust in God's sovereignty and timing and decision. Then after this interaction with Martha, we then meet Mary. Mary enters the scene. Originally she stayed at home. But now Martha's come back and said, basically Jesus is here Mary. Mary. And at that moment, Mary runs out to Jesus and she falls at his feet, weeping at his feet in her pain and distress. Lord, just like Martha said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. In her pain, in her grief, in her anger, she just lays it at the feet of Jesus. Now, Jesus responds that he's moved, he's deeply troubled uh, in his spirit. And so he asks, Where is Lazarus laid? And then he weeps. There's a lot of reasons why uh, Jesus weeps. But it's far from him being callous or dismissive of the suffering. Jesus enters into her pain and weeps with her. And Jesus enters into our pain and weeps with us too. Our natural inclination is going to be to push away from him. But like Mary, we can fall at Jesus' feet and just throw all of our pain, our suffering, our anguish on him. And he is with us. He's with us in those moments. Then in verse 38, Jesus comes to the tomb. Again, he's deeply moved. He says, take the stone away. Ever practical Martha responds, but Lord, there's, there's a bad odor. It's been four days. And Jesus gently replies to her. Gentle, soft, reminds her. Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? And the stone is rolled away. And then Jesus prays this prayer in verse uh, 41. Father, I thank you that you heard me. I know that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that you may believe you sent me. Then with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And then in this grand, amazing moment, Lazarus, like a mummy out of Indiana Jones, comes out of the tomb. Alive. At the word of Jesus, life is given to him. Jesus' words bring life, just his word. It's an incredible moment. Jesus brings life and the glory of God is revealed. Jesus' delay allowed them to see a greater revelation of himself. Jesus' delay allowed them to have a greater trust in him. Jesus' delay allowed them to love and know him more deeply. And Jesus' delay most powerfully allowed him to show to them the glory of God and that he is the son of God. And as a result, they believe, they hear, and they trust Jesus as they save, as their saviour. And this is central to what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. To trust in Jesus as our Lord and as our saviour. For us, our faith doesn't rest on Lazarus rising from the dead. Oh, that's part of it. But our faith centrally rests on Jesus coming to earth, dying on the cross, and him rising from dead. That's where we center our faith on. Jesus is our Savior because of his life, death, and resurrection. And in our life, and in our instinct, is going to be to make our Savior something else. We may not consciously say that. But we put our hope, we put our trust, we seek things to satisfy us, things seek things to save us in some way shape or form that is not jesus whether it be a money or success whether it be we try to medicate ourselves on scrolling or on uh, trying to find our true self we distract ourselves. the next holiday in some other person whatever it may be in becoming disciples of jesus jesus is our savior he's the only savior you can actually truly completely fully save And that is what it means for us to be a disciple of Jesus. Like what we see in Mary and Martha. We declare our need for him. And we believe in him as our saviour. But disciples don't remain there. We believe in Jesus as our saviour, but then we respond sacrificially in following Jesus as Lord. And we actually see that beautifully illustrated, shown in the life of of Mary and then the female itinerant disciples that we'll look to in a moment. But to remain in John and if you flick towards uh, chapter 12 we see Mary's extravagant display of devotion and sacrifice and worship of Jesus. There's a dinner that's held, Mary, Martha and Lazarus are there. And then we read this in chapter 12 verse 3. Then Mary took a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped it with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later betraying him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It's worth a year's wages. But he didn't say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to keep it for himself. He used to help himself uh, to whatever was put in it mary's lavish devotion of jesus means she lays out she pours a year's worth of wages in this perfume over jesus feet this is unqualified lavish extravagant devotion extravagant worship of the lord jesus and it's immediately contrasted with judas judas the one who is seeking to steal mary pours it all out on jesus in worship while judas is seeking to steal wants it for himself. And what's Jesus' response Uh, as Judas gets all upset, talking Mary down? Jesus says, leave her alone. It is intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. Jesus' response is to defend Mary, to uphold her sacrifice. And in this moment, how do we see Jesus through the eyes of Mary of Bethany? We see him as the one who merits all extravagant love, We see him as the one to whom nothing can be wasted. We see him as the one who defends her from critique. Now this passage is a sermon in and on itself. But as we think about this theme of discipleship, Mary prompts us to ask, in what ways ways can we extravagantly show love to Jesus? What does it look like for us to extravagantly show him love, devotion and affection? Do we hold back or we're giving it all. Sacrifice or be stingy. And I don't like preparing these parts of messages because these are the ones that hit me the most. think sacrificial or to be stingy. In the actions of, Martha, oh, of Mary of Bethany, we see that Jesus is the one who is worthy of all devotion, the worthy of all um, sacrifice, because he is Lord. But Mary is not the only one who sacrifices for Jesus, and this brings us to the three itinerant disciples, the three female disciples we mentioned. We hear about in Luke's gospel. And if you want, you can flick open, uh, flick over to Luke chapter eight. Oh, I'll read it for us. Jesus traveled. This is at, from verse one. Jesus traveled about from one town to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God, and the twelve were with him, and also were some women who were cured of. Evil spirits and diseases, Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out, Joanna, the wife of Chuza, the manager of Herod's household, Susanna, and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. These three women, we'll have a look, we'll start with Mary Magdalene. By far the most famous, uh, for some good reasons and, and historically poor ones, but nevertheless the most famous. Now, we don't know if she was single, if she was married. We don't know if she had children or not. We don't know anything of her past sexual history. That comes about centuries later. All Luke says is that seven demons were cast out of her. In other words, she was a despised, rejected, social outcast. Similar, but in a different way to the woman at the well from last week. On the outskirts of society and in no control of herself. She is in desperate need she's an outcast but jesus has transformed her life we don't know the occasion but we know the result jesus has come in he's redeemed her freed her from the demons that were within her and she's wholeheartedly followed someone who was rejected and internally imprisoned is now brought into the community of jesus brought into his family become a child of god And so as Rebecca McLaughlin says, how do we see Jesus through Mary Magdalene's eyes? We see Jesus as one who has utterly transformed her life. Mary has gone from a playground of demons to a key player in the community of Jesus and his mission in the world. That's the kind of transformation that Jesus can do. So no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what has happened, happening to you, Jesus can transform your life. That's his promise. That is who he is. So come to Jesus. He can transform your life. And like Mary, go and follow him. And this brings us to the second woman who we're introduced to as Joanna. Now, Joanna, we're told, is the wife of Chusa, who is the manager of Herod's household. Now, the line of Herod's uh, is not a positive group of people. They're not friends of Jews. Uh, They're certainly not a friend of Jesus. Their allies are the Romans and they rule over the Galilean area. Now, for the first readers of Luke's gospel, that would send a shudder down their spine. Herod is the one who imprisoned and then beheaded John the Baptist. We hear about in Luke chapter 13 that he wants to kill Jesus. And yet here is Joanna. Joanna, who is the wife of essentially the chief of staff of Herod. So for her to be there with Jesus, traveling around, is a massive sacrifice on her part. She'd be privy to all the comforts and joys of living the high life amongst that that household. But it also would have been highly controversial for her to be following as a companion and a benefactor of the Jesus movement with his disciples. For Joanna, to be a disciple of Jesus is nothing short of dangerous. And is nothing short of costly. She takes a tremendous risk to leave everything and follow Jesus. And so when we look at Joanna's story, as brief as it may be, it is like a Polaroid on our fridge of what it looks like to pick up our cross and follow Jesus. As Rebecca McLaughlin says, how do we see Jesus through Joanna's eyes? We see him as the one for whom all status must be sacrificed. All friends and high places left behind the one on whom our money should be spent, the one on whom we risk everything. Friends, as disciples of Jesus, it is clear but tough to say we sacrifice for him. When we see what Jesus sacrificed for us, he stepped out of heaven, clothed himself in the humanity, became a man, died on the cross, rose again in victory. We see his sacrifice to us. We see the grace that he's given us in forgiving us, and then adopting us to be in his family. We sit in the love and the joy that is, and then we respond in discipleship that costs sacrifice. It is all worth it. Uh, it doesn't make sacrifice easy, uh, but it makes it worth it. Now, for each of us, the sacrifice is going to be slightly different. The things we hold dear are going to be different to the pe- person we sit next to. So for some of us, it may be our finances, for others of us, it's going to be our time. It might be the type or the way that we engage in social media or the kind of entertainment that we consume. It might be in our career opportunities, or our possessions, our friends, our lavish holidays. It could be in many things, the ways that we are called to sacrifice. Whatever it's going to be, it's going to be intentional. We're going to know it. We're going to give it to Jesus and see how he works in and through us. But when we look at the people like Joanna, when we look at what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, we see he is the one through which all things can be sacrificed for. And as we look at these three women together, including uh, Susanna, and then we look at Mary, uh, who we just looked at from John, the thing that they are highlighted for, in a sense, is their sacrifice in terms of their finances, their financial giving, Mary pours out a year's wages on Jesus' feet. These women here in uh, Luke chapter eight, verse three, it said that they were supporting them, Jesus' disciples, the broader group of people, out of their own means. They're compelled by who Jesus is. They're compelled by his mission, and so they give. Friends, we are, we can take this inspiration to how we give as well. They give to Jesus out of their devotion to him. They give out of worship because they believe in him and in the work of the kingdom of God. And friends, as disciples of the Lord Jesus here at we this is what we want to be about. People who are marked by worship of Jesus in all aspects of our life and in how we give. Uh, there's someone way smarter than me that said, the last place to get converted is our wallet. Friends, when we are the disciples of Jesus, we give uh, to him because uh, he is worth it. He deserves our, de- our devotion. But I think it's also important to say at this moment, it's a blessing to be part of this church who has a broader group of very generous. This is a generous church. We give over $20,000 a week to the regular ministries here and to the global partners that we have around the world. Things like keeping the lights on, to run our regular ministries so we can have full-time staff like me and Ange and our gospel workers across the world uh, to be able to serve us. And then we also raise over a million dollars for this facility here so we can do effective ministry locally. We give up to $100,000 every May towards global projects across the world. This is a good thing, church. We are generous people. This is who we are. We want to be about Jesus and his mission practically in the world. And so like these women, we give generously and sacrificially because we worship Jesus as Lord and we long, we want to see his kingdom grow. So friends as we look at Jesus through the eyes of these women what we actually see is just consistent throughout all of scripture consistent through all what it calls to be, what we're called to be a disciple in the New Testament whether we're male or female we see that a disciple of Jesus trusts in him and him alone as lord and savior and then follows him sacrificially we can find all hope all certainty in Jesus, in the highs and the lows of life as we become part of his family and his disciple. And then we also see Jesus for who he is, the son of God, worthy of all devotion, worthy of all sacrifice. We give to him in whatever way we are called to because we believe in him and we believe in his mission in the world is the one and only hope that this world has. So friends, let me pray for us. Father, we thank you so much for sending Jesus. Uh, we thank you that he is the resurrection and life. We thank you that he died on the cross and he rose again in our place uh, for victory over sin and death. Thank you that we're forgiven. Thank you that we're adopted into your family. These are just amazing acts of your grace. And then we thank you that you call us to be your disciple, to follow you, to find life in you for now and eternity. And so, Father, as we sacrifice, as we live for you, not the things of this world, Fill us with a hope that can only come from your spirit being within us. May you get the glory. May your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven.
1: Uh, Use us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.